Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Or you got a study guide, a hope study guide. We got some of them in the back. Those of you who uh, prefer something maybe electronic, you can download that study guide to your phone. Uh, it's up to you, so I just want to make sure you're, you're aware of that. Well, let's hold them up. I got a message for us today. Let's hold them up, and let's say this together. Ready? Read. This is my Bible. It is God's Word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt hopeless, ready to give up? Maybe some of you have already given up felt like there were no answers, and that you were simply stuck right where you are. Well, according to the Bible, you don't have to stay there. The Bible says that hopelessness isn't caused by lack of money. It isn't caused by a lack of education. It isn't caused by negative circumstances. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says that hopelessness is the result of being without God and his promises. Anybody, anywhere can have hope if they know Jesus and the promises of God. Your background, your race, or your financial status doesn't matter. You can live on the wrong side of the tracks, the worst place possible, and still have hope. Because God isn't limited by your resources. God isn't limited by your circumstances. Hear this. God is an equal opportunity hope distributor. And the question is, will you connect with Jesus and the anchored hope that he offers you? We started a series last week across all three of our campuses, and we're simply calling it Hope an anchor for the soul. Jesus offers us a hope that's connected to God, and that hope that he offers us is an anchor for our soul, the deepest part of who we are. And it's important that we revisit the fact that real Bible hope comes from God, and it's meant to anchor you so that you don't drift It's meant to anchor you so that you stay secure, no matter what the storms of life may bring. And Bible hope is not the same as the hope that our culture uses in everyday use. That's usually regulated to kind of like wishful thinking. I hope the Panthers win. Wishful thinking, amen? I hope that tomorrow it doesn't rain. I hope that I catch another 50 trout on my favorite 
river. See, that kind of hope is not anchored hope. That's wishful thinking. But the Bible does speak to this real anchored hope that's meant to secure you, stabilize you. It's dependable. It's strong. It's reliable. And God is the God of hope. As a matter of fact, one of the theme verses I looked at last week was Romans 15, 13. If you've never highlighted Romans 15, 13 in your Bible, this is one of those Bible Bible verses you want to highlight, you want to underline, you want to star, you want to circle, because this will fuel you with the hope that comes from God. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice, hope starts with God. God is the source of hope. And this word hope, again, it's not a wishful thinking. This is the word elpis. In the Greek, it means confident, joyful expectation that's based in the person and the promise of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that kind of hope is different than the hope that the world uses all the time? And notice God's heart for you when it comes to hope. He says, I'm praying that this hope will overflow in your life. What does overflow mean? Overflow means to have more than enough. God doesn't want you lacking in real Bible hope. God doesn't want you discouraged in hopelessness. God, the God of hope, wants for us to get our hopes up. Somebody say it. I'm getting my hopes up. Come on. I'm getting my hopes up. Today, the title of the message is simply this, hope against hope. Say it with me. Hope against hope. And I want to look at a story in the book of Romans chapter 4. It's the story of Abraham and his exchange with the God of hope. Romans chapter 4, reading verses 17 and 18 and probably 19. Out of the Amplified Version, this is what the Bible says. As it is written in Scripture, I have made you a father of many nations in the sight of him in whom he believed. That is, God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations, as he had been promised by God. So numberless shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead for producing children. Since he was about a hundred years old, and he considered the deadness of Saren's womb. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you remember that in Genesis, God appears to Abraham, and he makes this covenant promise with him, and he calls him outside, and he says, Abraham, I want you to look at the stars. I want you to number the stars, if at all possible, because I'm going to give you descendants that are numberless. I'm going to give you descendants in comparison to the stars. And then there was another occasion where God kind of confirms that with him and Sarah. And the Bible says that they laughed at the possibility of hope 
for a child. And if you fast forward, you probably know they ended up having the promised son. Who knows his name? What was his name? Isaac. Did you know what Isaac means? I think if you look it up, it means laughed or I laughed. And the reason they named him Isaac is because when God brought this promise to them, it was too good to be true. It was laughable. And they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. They couldn't wrap their hearts around it. But God came through and he gave him the promised son. Think about the phrase hope against hope. Hope against hope means to hope against reasonable grounds or justification. To hope strongly that something will happen even though you know it is not at all likely, naturally speaking, to happen. That's exactly the kind of hope that Abraham had to lay hold of. He had to have a hope that came from God that was against all the possibility, all the natural possibility of anything ever really happening in regards to the promise that God made to him and Sarah. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask us this question. What area in your life do you need to develop some hope against hope? Is there an area in your life, whether it's your relationships, or it's your finances, or it's your career, or it's your kids, or if you, if you feel like this calling and direction from God in a particular a way in your career, but in the natural, if you start adding up all the pros and cons, there's way more cons, and it just naturally speaking doesn't seem like it could ever happen. See, this is an opportunity for hope against hope. Maybe you're listening and you have a stirring to get married again. But for one reason or another, you just have bought into the fact that that could never happen. Well, listen, friend, it might be a time to hope against hope. Or maybe you have a habit or an addiction that you know is not healthy for you. And you know it's keeping you from living life to the full. You know it's keeping you from stepping into the next thing that God has for you. But when you think of quitting, your mind goes to all the times that you've tried to quit before. So you allow unbelief to creep in and it keeps you stuck. Well, friend, maybe it's time to hope against hope. I would venture to believe that most people, if not everybody who's under the sound of my voice right now, has at least one area in your life where God could be saying, it's time to get your hopes up. It's time to develop some anchored hope and let my promises help you hope against hope. Come on, if we're being real, all of us might have an area like that. So for the rest of our time, I want to show you one powerful truth that you got to know. And then I want to give you two things that you can do that will help you hope against hope. Two action steps. How many of you know that just hearing what God's word says, but then taking no action to do what God's word says, we end up short. Amen? We don't experience the promise of God's word. The promise of God's word comes when we listen and we hear and we step out and we do what he's asking us to do. So I want to show you two things that you can do before uh, the message is over. So here's the first thing you got to know. 
in hope against hope. Remember, hoping God kind of hope against something that just seems like, naturally speaking, this could never happen, okay? What is that for you? Here's the first thing you got to know. Faith proportions itself to hope. Now, you might be scratching your head and and, and like me, I, I want to I know what words mean. Like, I know I use the word proportion all the time, but I looked it up just to be sure, okay? The word proportions mean, it, it's a mathematical term, first of all, and it simply means that when you have two ratios that are equal, they are said to be in proportion to one another, right? For example, I'm going to give you a practical example. If, if I came in, can you see that? If I came in with one pant leg up like this and one pant leg down like that, we would say those are not proportionate to one another. Does that make sense? Okay. We would say these pant legs now, they're in proportion to one another. Listen to the statement. Faith proportions itself to hope. You have to know that. What has God stirred you up about to place your hope on? What's the hope that he's stirring in your heart? Are you allowing it to grow? Are you getting your God-given hopes up? This is an important concept. It's an important spiritual truth. Why? Because my faith will only rise to the level of my hope. Think of it this way. The longer, the bigger your hope, the stronger, the bigger your faith will be. You must be a person who allows God to get your hopes up. By the way, let me say this. Uh, the world, people outside of God, or sometimes us, we have a natural, pessimistic, doubt-filled propensity to drown out hope. A lot of people feel like, man, if I get my hopes up, it's just not going to work. So what's the point of getting my hopes up? That's not God, friend. That's not the God of hope. Can somebody say amen? Hebrews 11.1, 1, the New Living Translation. Listen to this. You've heard it before, but listen to it fresh. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith gives us assurance about things we cannot see. But from this verse, you can see that faith proportions itself to your hope. Faith is connected to your hope. Faith is the servant of hope. Faith comes in and it undergirds. It, it creates something to stand on for your hope. Not wishful thinking, real Bible hope that's anchored in what you heard God speak into your life, what you heard God speak into your heart, that's anchored and rooted in the person and the promise of Jesus Christ. And it's rooted to the faithfulness of God's word. 
So it's important that we catch that. Faith proportions itself to hope. Listen to this. This is good. Hope is God's intended future for us, framed in by a promise given to us that allows faith to work in us. Hope is a big deal. Bible hope is a currency for spiritual people, for people that are in relationship with God. I want to tell you a little bit about a story of hope. This man, true story, his name was Dan Parker, and he was a race car driver. When met with adversity, most people create an alternate plan or just simply give up on their goals and dreams. But one Columbus man says it's not about giving up. He says it's about pushing forward and just revising parts of your plan no matter how long it takes. Machines, welding, and race cars is what Columbus resident Dan Parker has known all of his life. I am the 2005 American Drag Racing League Pro Nitrogen World Champion, said Parker, until a tragic accident in 2012. At 175 miles per hour, the car crossed the racetrack, hit the wall, tumbled, broke apart, and exploded in flames, Parker said. I was in an induced coma for two weeks. My brain was swollen and compressed my optic nerve, and I came home 100% blind for life. And with his sight gone, Parker says his limitations made him feel like his dream was over and there was no hope for the future. He said, I went through six months of a pretty deep depression. I was on the verge of suicide. And one night it came to me in a dream that I'd race again. And I woke up at two in the morning with just a clear vision for the future. With his new outlook, Parker enrolled in a school for the blind to relearn life and work skills. Then he was even more inspired. First, he built a motorcycle. Then, he said, I basically designed a new race car and was hands-on helping my team build it. Four and a half years in the making of the race car, I made it back to the track where I became a Guinness Book World Record holder. I'm the fastest person driving blind person in the world. I drove my car at over 211 miles per hour. Although he really didn't use a blindfold, that was the previous world record holder. He was blind and he drove as fast as he possibly could. He did have a safety occupant in the car with him as he drove with a, vi a voice guided audio system. Think about that. There's videos of this guy. He's blind with safety goggles. And somehow or another, he had some machines made that would guide him through making parts for his race car. 
He built a new race car blind with his team, and he got behind the wheel of a race car. He had an occupant who could see, and he was guided by an audio voice system that was built in the car, and he drove that car over 211 miles straight, and he broke the Guinness World Record. That's a man who hoped against hope, and he made it happen. Now, most of us will probably never be faced with something like that. But all of us probably have something in our life that God wants us to get our hopes up for. That God wants us to build our hope in Him and allow Him to give us a fresh dream, a fresh insight, something prophetic, something that He wants to do that you may have buried, that you may have considered dead and gone and hopeless. God is the God of hope. Can somebody say amen? He really, really is. So, Pastor Robert, what can I do that will help me to hope against hope? Here's your first action step. Focus your eyes on the hope found in God's promises. Focus your eyes on the hope found in God's promise. That's exactly what Abraham did. Romans chapter 4, verse 20, out of the Amplified Classic Edition, this is what it said. No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly question concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Notice that part. It says concerning the promise of God. Of God. Friend, I'm not just asking you to get your hopes up about anything that you think you want to do or anything that's outside of the will of God for your life. I'm not talking about putting your hopes on winning the lottery. I'm talking about going back to the God of hope and sitting down with Him fresh and anew opening up your Bible and having him speak into your heart about some areas of your life where he wants you to develop some hope against hope. And if you'll do that, I'm convinced that God is very much alive. His word is very much alive. His Holy Spirit shows up every time we show up to read and to commune with him. And he'll breathe fresh vision into your spirit. He'll breathe fresh promises from his spirit into your heart. Instead of focusing on the condition of his natural circumstances, Abraham continued to focus on the hope that came, listen, from the promise of God. And by doing this, he was able to remain anchored in hope, and he grew stronger in his faith in spite of his circumstances. Now, truth be told, if we're real, Abraham is not perfect. And he'll go down as such. The Bible records him making mistakes. The Bible records him stepping back on some of the things that God promised. But I'm so glad that he did because you and I do the same thing. Amen? I'm so glad that the characters in the Bible are like us and they're real. And they have doubts and they have fears and they do messed up. But the point I want you to come away with is you and I have to make a decision to focus our eyes, our spiritual eyes, on the hope that's found in God's promise. Many times I'll come up to people and I'll say something like, so what's God been speaking to you lately? 
And I'm trying to get people to kind of think about what's God been breathing into their heart? What, what's God been putting on their mind? And that's a, that's a sure found way for us to just keep coming back to the promises of God. So you might say, Pastor Robert, okay, how, how do I do that? How, how do I not focus on the hopelessness and focus on the hope that comes from the promise of God? Now remember, I love you, and I always want to give you the truth. There isn't a shortcut, but there is a way to do this. And, and one of the promises that I love that comes from the Old Testament is found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And if you know the story, Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. Joshua was his commander-in-chief, second-in-command, so to speak. And Moses died. And now God calls Joshua and anoints him through Moses, the leader, to be the guy who's going to take God's people into the promised land. And Joshua is a younger guy, and this is a new uh, position for him, and he's got a little bit of concern. And I love Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. If you've never highlighted this, this is one of those places in the Bible you want to highlight this, and you want to really pull it in. This is what it says. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Pastor Robert, that's an Old Testament promise to Joshua. Joshua was a warrior. Joshua was going to battle. That's not applicable for us. Well, not exactly, but principally it is. God was saying, listen, more than you need to sharpen your arrows, Joshua, more than you need to practice with your bow, Joshua, more than you need to rub on your shield, Joshua, more than the strategic wartime meetings that you need to have, Joshua, you need to go back to my word. You need to pull in my promises. You need to pull in my faithfulness. You need to memorize the word. You need to see it coming to pass in your heart before you see it coming to pass on the battlefield. And as he did that, he was filled with hope. He was filled with fresh faith. He was filled with victory before he took one step into the promised land. Listen to what he says. This book, my word, shall not depart from your mouth. Speak it. Don't speak negative. Don't speak death. Don't speak in agreement with the circumstances. I'm not trying to get you to deny the circumstances. I'm saying speak my word instead of the circumstances. He said, allow my word to paint pictures in your heart. Think on my word. Ponder my word. Memorize my word. That's what the word meditate means. It means to think on these words while abandoning all other outside distractions. Can I just be honest? A lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times we're distracted by the circumstance and the hopelessness and the situation. Do you have a God's promises book? Get a God's promises book. You're dealing with anxiety? There's a promise for it. You're dealing with a lack of finances? There's a promise for it. You're dealing with relational disconnect? There's promises for it. Pastor Robert, how do I know that's for me? Whatever you pray in alignment with God's will, that's for you. He wants that to happen in your life. But we got to meditate on the word. we got to pull it in. If I'm honest, if I'm honest, 
probably, probably statistically, seven out of ten Christians don't invest time reading their Bible at home. I'm just being honest. And now, I don't say that to bring any condemnation on anybody. I'm saying that because I love you as your pastor. This is God's word. The Holy Spirit is on it. And when we read it and we pull it in, it renews our mind. It builds our faith. It paints pictures of the future. Some people might say, Pastor Robert, you don't understand. I don't have any time to read the Bible. Well, I would have to disagree. You invest time into whatever you value. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? Think about it. If Jesus was sitting at your kitchen table when you woke up in the morning or before you went to bed, or let me just say this, at any time during the day, would that change the way you went around your day? It would change mine. Would you invest time to sit with him and to catch a few nuggets of wisdom from the master and tell him how much you loved him and listen to his counsel and his advice concerning finance, concerning relationship, concerning marriage, concerning health, concerning life in general? Would you sit down like Mary and Martha? They invited him into her house, and the Bible says that Mary sat at his word and listened to him. When we open up this book, it's as if Jesus was sitting at your kitchen table and he's speaking life. He's speaking hope. He's speaking faith. He's speaking healing. He's bringing restoration. Father, I thank you that Lakeshore Christian Fellowship is a church that stands on your word. Father, I thank you that Lakeshore Gastonia is a church that is hungry for your word. I thank you that Lakeshore Christian Fellowship is a church that is being stirred up with a new hunger and a new thirst for the things of God, for your word, for your presence, for your power, for intimate fellowship with you. Father, I thank you that every moment, every hour, every day, we invest in spending time with you, reading your word. You're renewing our mind. You're increasing our hope. You're strengthening our faith. You're bringing things to life that were dead. You are doing supernaturally what we could never do on our best day. Father, I thank you for doing that in Lakeshore Gastonia. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. Here's the other action step. Fortify hope with thanksgiving and praise. Do you know what fortify means? Fortify hope with thanksgiving and praise. How many of you ever had a soft taco before? A soft taco, where's he going in this message? Man, that's not in my notes. I'm going to just tell you right now, okay? But I love soft tacos. Carne asada, chicken, carnitas, whatever. They're so good. I know it's a Mexican thing, but some of you can appreciate what I'm talking about. Amen. Well, listen, I grew up in a house where those tacos were fortified. It wasn't one corn tortilla. It was two. Because we packed on the meat. Amen. So I didn't make a taco where one corn tortilla was enough to hold that together. I had to fortify my carne salad tacos, okay? So you know what fortify means. Fortify hope with thanksgiving and praise. That's what Abraham did. Look at it again. Romans 4, 20 and 21, just in case you missed it. It said, no unbelief or distrust made him waver doubtedly questioning concerning the promise of God. Listen, but he grew strong 
and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. He was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and do what he had promised. Friend, what does God want you to place your hope on? What's the area where he wants you to hope against hope? Now, I'm not trying to get you to just fabricate something. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Like, you know, you've, you've probably heard me say this before, but, you know, uh, back in 2002, 2003, when I began to sense from the Lord, oh my, I think, I think you've called me, like, to a full-time ministry career as a pastor. Like, full-time. And, and I had this little business. I had a cell phone business with two partners. I had a 350ZX. I was just doing work, but serving in a lay pastor role at the church, doing everything I could to serve and grow and learn. And, and, but I just had a sense. But in my mind, naturally, there was nothing that gave me any natural hope that that would happen. Nothing. There was no position offered to me at the church that I was at, nor, nor had anybody ever said that there would be. Um, the pastors that we grew up, Pastor Gill and Debbie Dearman, they weren't at our church anymore. They were off. He was a dean of students at Life Bible College, and uh, I was working this career, and nothing in the natural look. But I knew that I had made some mistakes, and I knew that I gave up on the hope that God had implanted in my spirit, and I messed up. And I went, and I made it right with God. I repented. I repented. I'm sorry for my sin and missing it, I'm willing to adjust my life and go back and follow you. As I did that, I still have the journal. I wrote some things down. God spoke to me. He began to give me a picture of this fresh hope for my future and what he had for me. And little by little by little, as we begin to prepare and adjust our lives, there were times when I would get weak in the knees, faith speaking, and my wife would have to remind me, God has spoken this into us. God has promised this to us. God has said that he's going to take us to the Carolinas and he's going to provide everything that we need, the jobs, the house, whatever we need to fulfill the plan and the purpose that he has for us. We have to lay hold of the hope that's in Christ and allow our faith to latch onto that and just go forward in believing him. That's what I'm talking about. When you get with God and he begins to speak into your life about whatever it is that you need hope in, he will make it clear and then your faith will proportion itself to that hope. And little by little by little, you'll begin to step into what God has for you. This is not easy. But if you will fortify your faith with praise and thanksgiving while you're walking it out, before the promise comes to pass, in the middle of what likes, looks like it's not going to happen, that's what Abraham did. He gave praise. What does that mean? I'm singing songs sometimes. Sometimes. The Bible says that God enthrones himself in the praises of his people. He sets up the supernatural power of the kingdom of God when we're praising and we're worshiping. Sometimes it's not singing. Sometimes it's just declaring. Father, I know this circumstance in my family looks impossible, 
but this is what your word says. This is what you spoke to my heart, and I agree with that, and I declare that by faith over this circumstance, over this person. Somebody might say, Pastor Robert, that's a little fanatical. No, it's not. It's biblical. Speak life. Speak the word. That's what Jesus did. That's what God, God created everything by his word. Are you saying we can create everything like God? That's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't take it out of context. I'm saying that these scriptures are the words of God. And when we speak them in the middle of a hopeless situation, what's that doing? It's giving praise and it's making room for the glory of God to come in and to supersede your natural hopeless circumstance and begin to do things in your life that you never thought would happen. Sometimes that's a battle. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.